Hey there, my name is Daniel. Welcome to our podcast. Are you a friend of the paranormal? Of the extraterrestrial? Do you believe that ETs or ghosts exist? Have you ever been haunted by a ghost yourself? Or have you seen a UFO? Well, I did. It was back in 1996. I saw a triangle-shaped UFO hovering in the sky. And it was a very intense experience. And it didn't leave me unfazed. So I started reading books about this topic and articles. I started collecting everything that I could find. And so, until this day, like so many others do, I'm looking for answers to my questions. Questions like, who are they? Where do they come from? And how the hell do they get here? Are they time travelers? Or are they from another planet? But one of the most interesting questions for me is, why are they visiting us? What do they want from us? Are we that interesting? There are so many people out there that experience stuff that was way more intense than the things that I experienced. And this is exactly why I started this podcast almost three years back from now. I wanted to talk to these people. One of those great people is Preston Dennett. He's not only a great guy, but also a UFO researcher and a book author. And we talked about awesome stuff. We talked about UFOs, aliens, disclosure, lucid dreaming, time travel, all those great things. So let's jump right in and see what he has to say. What are your thoughts on the UFO hearing at the US Congress not too long ago? I found it quite interesting, but it left us as expected with a lot of question marks. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds about it. On, on one hand, I'm very encouraged. This is the first time the US government has actually said flat out UFOs or UAPs, as they call them, are real and worthy of being studied. That was really a wonderful 180 degree turnaround. They have never said this. You know, there's been previous UFO studies, Project Blue Book, the Conan Committee, the Robertson panel, and every single one of them said UFOs are not real. If you think you saw one, it's a hoax, a hallucination, or a misperception. They are no threat to national security. There's absolutely nothing to this. Go away. Uh, and uh, so this is complete turnaround. They not only said that, you know, these are real, but they are now saying they might represent a national security threat, uh, which from a military perspective, I can see how they might come to that conclusion. But if they actually studied the phenomena, and I'm sure they have, uh, it's a ridiculous assertion. There is no national security threat yeah. uh, at all. ETs have been around for thousands of years, long before we had technology. Uh, they have never... Uh, tried to take over. Uh, that is not their agenda. It's the opposite. They're here to teach, guide, help, heal. 
So the, on that regard, I'm really encouraged that, you know, they said UFOs are real, UAPs. On the other hand, they said, we don't know what they are. That is a lie. They know. They know because the UFO crash at Roswell. Yeah. They, ha they have the ship. They have the bodies. They mentioned Roswell in passing and called it a story, a, a myth. Uh, that was disingenuous. That's just a flat-out lie. They know this is real. And it went downhill from there. I was very upset. I wanted to throw things at my TV several times because uh, they flat out lied. And mind you, they are under oath in front of Congress and were asked, have we ever shot at these objects? Have we ever you know, fired at them? They said, no, that's demonstrably untrue. This is provable. And there is case after case. After, I mean, there are hundreds of cases of us shooting at them. And I'll just name one, which is very famous, which is the Battle of L.A., it's often called, on the L.A. Los Angeles blackout. Yeah. And this occurred way back in 1942, where numerous unidentified objects were seen over Los Angeles, California, were filmed. In fact, there's a picture on the front of the L.A. Times newspaper. And you can see this object and there are searchlights, you know, pointed at it. And there are bombs, you know, ammunition, artillery shells exploding all around it. We shot at 1,400 rounds, 1,400 rounds of ammunition at this thing and could not bring it down. Uh, this is, was witnessed by thousands of people was on the cover of the LA Times. We have documents from the government that have been declassified that talk about this incident and say that we do not know what they were. And for our government, for the, you know, the Secretary of Defense, uh, Tom Bray and Ronald Moultrie, uh, who are you know, our intelligence officers at the highest level of government, to say that we have never shot at UFOs is absolutely a flat out lie. Um, the only other thing that could, you could possibly say is they might not know about it. And that's not credible either. They are our, our highest level intelligence officers. It is their job to know. <laughs> so they cannot be that ignorant. It's just not believable. Yeah. And it was, and it was lie after lie after that. They said, uh, Real quick, they were asked about the Malmstrom incident. This mm -hmm. is a very famous incident, which took place at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana in 1967, where UFOs were seen over a missile site where we have nuclear-tipped missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles. These UFOs appeared and shut the missiles down, one after another, all of them. And uh, they were asked about this and said, we have no information on that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? You're in charge of defense of our country and you don't know about this. Really? I don't believe it. No, I'm not buying that too. You know, somebody asked if they tried to contact these things. And they said, and they said no, because they're assumed... Uh, they were some kind of drones or something. There were yeah. no, no 
no people in sight. Another flat out lie. Of course, we yeah, found out. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Anytime an airliner sees another craft, that's the first thing they do. Yes. Um, is contact them. Yeah. Try to. Like, who are you? <laughs> who is this flying? Uh, it's another flat out lie. And we know that there have been, to some extent, diplomatic relations between uh, our government and the ETs. I'll point to the 1954 incident at Edwards Air Force Base with President Eisenhower, which is very well confirmed. Many researchers have looked into it. And this was a full-on face-to-face meeting with extraterrestrials who landed at Edwards Air Force Base and talked to President Eisenhower and many other high-level officials. Yes, we've talked to them. Yes, we've tried to make contact many, many times. It was another lie. I'm so disappointed in those congressional hearings. They said, we have 144 sightings. <laughs> well, now we have 400 since 20 you know, 2003 or something. They're ignoring 60, 70 years of research that has been done into this subject. You could pick up any UFO book on the bookshelf, on Amazon, anywhere, and learn more from one single book Yes, than those guys said in that congressional hearing. It was a joke. And I'm very angry about it because they are lying. They know much more than they're saying. I agree with you totally. But would the truth hurt, really hurt so much that they cannot tell us? What is it that they don't want to tell us? It wouldn't hurt us. It would benefit us. It would hurt them. It would hurt their narrative, their ability to to maintain power and control over the masses. Of course. There is no alien threat to humanity. There is an alien threat to the power elite and their control over keeping us ignorant. That is the alien threat. It's the threat to their jobs, <laughs> to their money. Uh, so they are running scared because they know the cover-up is crumbling. It is a complete disaster. Most people, certainly in the US, believe UFOs are real. Uh, their control over you know, the subject is slipping away fast. So this is the alien threat. This is the reason behind the cover-up. <laughs> It's because they want to maintain control over people. They want, it's all about power and greed and money. Uh, that's the reason for the cover-up. Because we have this technology and they don't want to give it up. They don't want to share it. Um, what do you think? How, how deep or, or how far is this going? Do you, do you, do you think... They already live amongst us and maybe more than we can imagine, maybe even maybe even reproduce with humans. In another one of your videos, you mentioned Thomas, who was a whistleblower who um, used to work for the government. And um, in this video, you mentioned 
at some point you mentioned a gray that changed its appearance into a human or or the other way around i don't i, I don't recall and a so-called shapeshifter right do you, do you think they walk amongst us already like this i do and and i know how this must sound to someone who is you know not who's skeptical say yeah. or who has not done their research uh it sounds crazy uh, but the fact is uh UFOs have been around a very long time. There are many different types of ETs. People often talk about grays, short little, you know, three to five foot tall beings with large dark eyes, very pale skin, huge heads. And uh, also about perhaps praying mantis type ETs, which look like praying mantis insects, except very tall, uh, very thin bodies. Um, but they're also human looking ETs ones that look just like us, and many, many different types of humanoids. Uh, so what we're dealing with is people have been seeing humanoid beings for a very, very long time. And the fact that some look just like us uh, definitely raises serious questions about whether they are walking among us or not. And when people see greys, they will often say that sometimes they are able to disguise their appearance and look like anything they want. This sometimes takes the form of animals, owls or deer, um, or, you know, anything, often human looking. Uh, and if you look into the UFO literature, you will see case after case after case where ETs are being seen in places you would not expect. Hotels, train stations, bus stops, gas stations, grocery stores, walking on the street, I'm, subways, uh, it, casinos. I started to realize this when I wrote you know, UFOs over California first. I had a few cases. UFOs over New York. There were several cases of ETs you know, seen at cafes and restaurants and on the street. Places you would not expect. Uh, and let me interrupt you for a second. Excuse me. When you say seen, what do you mean? Like in their in their alien shaped appearance, or did, did they sometimes? Well, here's an example from New York involving a high school student who was walking to school. She had had previous UFO experiences. And she was just about to enter her school, Westmoreland High School in New York, and was approached by a gentleman from behind. She turns around, and there's a very strange-looking guy who looks mostly human, except his ears are kind of pointed. His eyes are very Asian-looking, very pale skin. He's wearing weird clothes and points to the field in front of the school and says, would you like to go for a ride? My white vehicle is parked over there. There's no road there. She's like, what are you talking about? No. She says, I have to go to school. You know, I'm, I'm due for, you know, PE class, physical education. And he says, what's that? She says, well, you know, I'm going to play volleyball. He says, what's volleyball? And uh, they had this very bizarre conversation where he seemed to not know anything about human society. And he was just a very odd individual, very pale skinned and 
creeped her out. And so she kind of rebuffed him, pushed him, not physically, but, you know, kind of turned around and walked away, realized how unusual he, he was and immediately turned around, you know, just two or three seconds later and he was gone. That was not even possible because there was nowhere for him to hide. So that really concerned her. And an uh, interesting end note to this story. Um, her friends walked up. They're like, who was that weirdo? <laughs> who was that weird guy? And she's like, I have no idea. It was a week or two later, she was in the local convenience store. And there he was again, staring at her, him or a very similar looking individual. And just staring at her, it creeped her out. So she went away. And uh, it was a week or two later, she was ducted on board a UFO, taken. And on board this craft, there was that individual that she had seen twice in a, you know, once at a store and once in front of the school. And there's case after case like this. There was another case, real quick, if I might, uh, involving a gentleman, John Hunter Gray, who was at a gas station <laughs> with his son getting gas when they noticed a strange individual next to them staring at them. He was dressed from head to toe in clothes, even though it was a warm day. He had a fisherman's cap on, big sunglasses that covered pretty much everything. And they could see he had beady little eyes, strange eyes. He was walking strange. He was very short. And they thought, this guy is creepy. He's weird. Why is he staring at us? Uh, and they drove off. And this guy hopped in his car, a Volkswagen Bug, I believe it was, a Volkswagen Beetle and followed them. So this was this, you know, like the third or fourth strange thing already. This gentleman is dressed strange. He's walking strangely. He's got a strange appearance. Now he's behaving strangely and following them. So they slow down. He slows down. They speed up. He speeds up. They slow way down. He will not pass. And so they're somewhat concerned. And finally, he turns off. And as soon as he turns off on this, you know, other road, a UFO lands and takes them on board. And they have your typical sort of encounter with greys. And uh, they always, you know, they say to this day that there was something unusual about this man and it was something connected to their encounter. And there's case after case like this. Uh, so yeah, I do think they are among us. There was a discussion in a German Facebook group and they talked about the possibility that aliens spy on us in the form of plants, like some flowers or trees. Any deeper thoughts on this one? Uh, I can't say I have any evidence of that in particular, uh, but I do think that they are keeping very close watch over us. If you look at our own technology, we have satellites that can basically read a license plate or read the newspaper you have in your hand from deep space. Yeah. And I know for a fact, well, um, just through interviews, I should say, that we have technology that can see through roofs and ceilings and walls. We can see through solid objects. We ourselves, humans, have this technology. Mm -hmm. uh, and just judging on the fact that ETs can find anybody anywhere <laughs> and take you if they want uh, and seem to possess pretty extensive knowledge of people's lives, it's clear that they're watching over us very closely. 
how they're doing this, I can't say for sure, whether it's through plants or technology or psychically. I'm sure they have different methods. I don't have any evidence that, you know, they have, they're using plants, but, it, you know, their technology is so, so far beyond our own, not just hundreds of years, probably not even thousands. We're talking probably closer to millions of years ahead of us. So they can do stuff that to us would seem magical, phantasmagorical, fantasy. Uh, that's how advanced their technology is. Their craft can turn invisible. They can shrink down or enlarge, turn at right angles, hover silently. They can take people no matter where they are, from, from tr moving trains, planes, boats, uh, crowded suburbs, hotels. I've got case after case where people are abducted from a hotel room. Uh, so they, the point is their technology is really, really advanced. And yes, they are watching over it very closely. Let's not forget missing time and, and phenomenons like, like this one or the Oz factor and, and stuff like that. Yes, the Oz factor is very interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, that's something that turns up quite a bit where suddenly there will be no traffic on the street. Yeah. Um, it's, I talked to one lady. She was eight months, nine months pregnant. I mean, really ready to have her baby. And ETs do seem very interested in human reproduction. At any rate, she was driving on a street called La Cienega Boulevard. Uh, this was during the day. This is in downtown Los Angeles. And this is a street that is always busy, even at night. It's filled with cars. She's driving along during the day. Of course, there are cars everywhere. There's, it's heavy, heavy traffic in LA. Some of the heaviest in the world. And suddenly she noticed there were no cars around her at all. And that was really bizarre and scared her a little bit but then her attention was distracted by this big orb of light a ball of light the size of a grapefruit she said um you know smaller than a basketball but somewhere around that size a very large orb of light which started circling around her car i mean hovering in front of her windshield <laughs> circling around her car and then it moved straight up she leaned forward and watched it go up into the sky and quickly looked down because she's driving. And all the cars just went jump and were all around her again. And I've got case after case like that. Uh, it becomes perfectly silent. <laughs> no animal noises if you're out in the wilderness. Hmm. The traffic will disappear if you're in an urban setting. Dead silence. Yeah, I don't know how they do this. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, they can even pull people out of the time stream. There are people who are driving along the freeway and suddenly everyone's frozen, not moving. And they are pulled out of their car. Um, so they have a, ways of doing things we don't can't even begin to understand. I, I wanted to talk to you about the uh, case of Dolly. I, I love this video. She's a great person. But is it okay if we get into the case of Thomas, uh, at first, the guy who used to work for the government, would you mind telling us a little bit more about Thomas? Yeah, this is a very interesting gentleman who I've been corresponding with for a very long time. Um, he's very interested in my research and has helped me out, pointing me in you know, different directions of research that he thinks I should look into. 
And uh, I was able to verify that he did, in fact, work for the Navy and was on stationed on a Navy ship, the USS Kidd, uh, had a secret clearance, and for a very long time has been interested in these subjects, UFOs and the paranormal. And his father, in fact, was stationed at an air base in California and told him that it was his job, along with other uh, officers, to guard a craft, an alien craft that was being held there. So from a very young age, Thomas, and that's not his real name, uh, he wants to be anonymous, knew that UFOs were real and that our government was covering this information up. So he was very much interested in this subject and would research it. And he, when the internet uh, became available to the public in the early 1990s, he started joining chat groups about UFOs and talking to people who were within government about crashed UFOs and this sort of thing. And he ended up making friends with some people who were very high level in government and started talking about how we had, in fact, recovered uh, crashed UFOs. Uh, in particular, he talked to a gentleman who was part of a team called uh, Omega, whose job it was to recover crashed UFOs. And this gentleman he was corresponding with explained how they had recovered at least two craft in Vietnam and went into some detail about it. So this sort of uh, continued and he started con connecting with more and more people who were basically insiders, uh, you know, part of the secret government who was responsible for recovering alien technology, alien bodies, reverse engineering. And at some point, he was at Shasta College in California. He was approached by a, a gentleman who knew all about him, knew his name. He had never laid eyes on this man before. And this man said, you know, we know about you. We know of your interest in the subject. Would you like to become a part of the team where we recover aircraft? And Thomas was like, aircraft? <laughs> what do you mean? And the guy kind of didn't fully say, but implied that, you know, these were not planes we're talking about here. These are UFOs. And Thomas said, yes, I'm very interested. And the guy said, well, we will contact you down the line in a few months. And they did. Uh, he was contacted again, and they explained very clearly, yes, we recover ET craft, and if you want, we would love for you to be a part of this team. And uh, they said, there are certain conditions. You will not be able to have any family members. Uh, you will be completely alone. You cannot talk to anybody, period. No, no spouse, you know, no children. <laughs> Nothing like this. And he was a single man at this time with no real family. Uh, but he had recently gotten into a relationship with a woman, fallen in love, and you know, wanted to stay with her. And after thinking about it, he decided, no, I'm, you know, I, I can't join your group. You know, thank you for the opportunity, but I cannot live that kind of lifestyle. 
And they said, okay, that's fine. But he did remain in touch with people. And he basically had a direct pipeline, a direct line of communication to people within the secret government and learned many amazing things. He said that Area 51 in Nevada, uh, Israel, is a place where we are keeping UFOs and reverse engineering them. And then, in fact, this secret base called Area 51 in Nevada uh, is not only real, it has thousands of people who work there. It goes several levels underground. And according to his sources, there are ETs working with humans uh, down at the deepest levels. And he confirmed basically what Bob Lazar and many other people have said. So, yeah, his story is quite extensive. And at one point, he did see who he thought was a human being, but shape-shifted into a gray. Uh, that's what I was talking about earlier in a row. Yeah. Yeah. And when they contacted him, they told him that they are working on ET aircrafts. Yeah. Exactly. They're working on reverse engineering ET technology and many other different things, biological weapons, uh, genetics, which is basically confirming what other whistleblowers out of Area 51 have said. He talked to one gentleman who worked there for many years and then wanted to leave. And they said, okay, you can leave, but we are going to have to brainwash you. Mm. Uh, you will not remember anything. And uh, this gentleman agreed, but did remember following a car accident and a head injury. All his memories came back. Uh, and he basically fed Thomas a lot of information, which he says, I can't tell you anything, but if you ask questions, I can answer yes or no type of thing. So, uh, yeah, uh, Thomas learned that there is a huge city under Area 51 housing thousands of people who are working on reverse engineering, ET craft, and other areas as well. Quite a story. It's quite a story, for sure. Did he ever get in trouble for becoming a whistleblower? No, no, no but he's been very careful. And we're seeing a lot of this right now. A lot of whistleblowers come forward. I've talked to, you know, not a whole lot of them. I generally focus on contactee stories, but occasionally I am contacted by people within the military. Like one gentleman was an officer at Malmstrom Air Force Base, which we mentioned. He was there. He shared his story with me. There was another gentleman who worked as a subcontractor for the government at Edwards Air Force Base. He had an incredible story, which he shared with me on his deathbed. He says, I don't care if they come after me. I am about to pass away in a month. And he did. He wanted to do his part for disclosure. So what we have is a situation where there's hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands, of people who are stepping forward, basically knowing that they're going to die uh, in months or a few years. And our own government, uh, the U.S. government, is not prosecuting these people, is not coming after them, because to do so would be an admission of guilt and a verification that the UFO phenomenon 
is real and their story is real. Yeah. Because if they are going to say, you know, stop talking, well, that's as good as saying this person is telling the truth. And that's the last thing they want to do is draw attention to this. So this is why the cover-up is doomed to failure. Truth has a way of taking care of itself. You can cover it up. You can alter it. You can do your best to hide it. But sooner or later, you know, truth is truth. It cannot be destroyed. And we're seeing that now. I, I compare the cover-up to a dam with all the truth behind it. And there's a thousand leaks in this dam. And this dam has broken. And now it's flooding over our culture, our society. The truth is now known. This is what we would call an open conspiracy. Mm. Uh, everyone knows our government is hiding UFO information. And uh, they are scrabbling. They are in panic mode, I, I suspect, trying to do their best to cover up what they can. Yeah. But there's, there's too many leaks. Their, their days are done. Their, you know, time is numbered. Yeah. Disclosure is coming sooner or yes. later. And we're seeing that. I mean, we have very high level government officials from every level of society and the military and politics. I'm stepping forward. There's a huge flood of celebrities, you know, movie stars and musicians stepping forward. Uh, this, this subject is going into the mainstream very quickly. If you have to, if you had to place a bet, would you put your money on disclosure in less than two years or more? What would it be? More. Um, I think that disclosure will happen because it's inevitable. But honestly, given our government's track record, all of our governments, not just the US, but every government, they have never, ever told the truth. They're not telling the truth now. Why would they change? Yeah, I do not expect them ever to be fully truthful or transparent or forthcoming. The disclosure that's happening now, I don't think is voluntary. I think they're doing it because they have to. Under pressure. It, yeah. yeah. There's been you know, the, the leaks of the Tic Tac video and uh, people within the Pentagon were not authorized. This is not something the government said, okay, let's tell everyone the truth. These were leaks. So our governments are being forced to play their hand involuntarily to remain in control of the narrative. I don't think they're ever going to tell the truth voluntarily. They might, you know, involuntarily at some point say, yes, Roswell was real. Here's the craft. Here's the bodies. But until then, until we see the craft and the bodies, um, disclosure will It's not finished. Yeah, we need to see the craft. We need because you know, don't show me a piece of metal. <laughs> don't show me a film. You know, in that recent congressional hearing, they showed a film of a little white dot. That took yeah. them honestly 10 minutes to to stop framing the film. It was laughable. I have better footage sent to me. You know, I've seen better footage on every reality TV show <laughs> on the subject. It was a joke. For them to say that that's their best footage is such a lie. No, I don't trust them. I think it's going to take uh, longer for governments to disclose. I think disclosure will probably happen within five years at the 
you know, could happen within two years, but I don't think it's going to come from the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. I think what's going to happen is there'll be some CE5 group, you know, a group of people, citizens, who call down a UFO and film it. Or I think perhaps UFOs will drop down over Berlin, Paris, London, Tokyo, Mexico City. They already did over Mexico City. Uh, L.A., which they already did. <laughs> but now we everyone has cell phones. Um, there's going to be a major event like that from the ETs. And that will convince the entire world, at which point the governments will be forced to disclose or become completely irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, they're, if they're not going to tell the truth, nobody's going to listen to them ever again. And there will be a revolution. Governments fall when they refused to, you know, work for the people. Yes. It's hap- hap- no country has last, their, their governments fall over and over again. They fail. There's a revolution. And that will happen if our government doesn't start working for the people. And they know it. I'm sure. Yep. And they know it. I have a fly here bothering me all the time. Um, it's um, a government drone. Don't worry. It's a government <laughs> drone. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> They have those, you know, little tiny robotic Talking insects. conspiracy here. We have to be careful. Um, let's talk about Dolly. You talk to this wonderful lady named Dolly, which is a so-called contactee. And Dolly experienced pretty intense things throughout her childhood and youth. And if you don't mind, please tell us a little bit more about Dolly's story and maybe a short version. Yeah, her name is Dolly Safran. And uh, she is a contactee since age one, has had experiences her whole life, still is. And unlike a lot of people, she has not needed hypnosis. She remembers her experiences. She has no fear of them. So her, she's been working with the ETs very extensively for a very long time. And when I say working with them, I mean that she goes on board these craft And four weeks at a time, sometimes longer, she's living with them. So she, her story is more extensive than anyone else I've ever interviewed. Uh, and she recalls not only be, being taken on board these craft, she's been healed many times. She's been on board when many other people are taken and they're pulled on board and examined and healed. They've taught her all about science all about spirituality, morality. They've taken her to their planet. She's seen a wide variety of ETs, including grays, hybrids, human-looking, tall whites, short little beings, light beings, uh, cat-like ETs, dog-like ETs. Uh, I mean, it just goes on. Her story is really remarkable. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. And I, everything she's told me, I've heard from other people for the most part, but it's been very piecemeal, very much based in fear, very much recalled through hypnosis often. Uh, but Dolly has been able to provide a continuous narrative, a complete story where it connects all the dots, fills in the blanks. She has a better understanding of the ET presence, their agenda on our planet than anyone else I've ever talked to. 
Dolly at some point in her story says that she was levitating. She even went through the roof when she was a child, when she was abducted, I guess. Help me to understand, did she, when she went, as she went to the, through the roof, did she dematerialize or how can I understand it? Yeah, just uh, real quick. Dolly is the subject of my latest book. Mm -hmm. It's called Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure. So I go into all, all the detail on this. Uh, so, because I could not possibly explain it in a show, uh, okay. you know, of, of an hour or two. But uh, yeah, she, and I will say most of the people I've talked to, our contactees, do describe being levitated and pushed through a solid wall or roof, ceiling, and up into a craft. The ETs have the technology to do this. They use uh, lights. Their understanding of the electromagnetic spectrum is far in advance of our own. They are able to use you know, lasers and lights uh, in a variety of ways that we are only beginning to understand. Uh, they can use them to levitate people, to render solid objects permeable, to heal people, uh, to do all kinds of things. And so what they're, if you, you know, if you talk to a quantum physicist, they will tell you that matter is, has a, the appearance of being solid, but really it is mostly empty space. Molecules are vibrating at a high rate of speed and give the illusion of, you know, solid matter. But in fact, it's really just energetic. Yes. And there's a lot of research being done into this where we have been able to you know, render solid objects transparent, metal, uh, this sort of thing. And uh, the ETs are able to do this, are able to sort of uh, take all the, the molecular structure of a solid object and align it in a way that it is permeable and they can pull people through it. And, uh, you know, you mentioned levitation. Um, this is something I have looked into. I wrote a book on human levitation because this is a natural human ability. This is something we can do without the ETs. The ETs can do this. They have the ability to levitate themselves psychically. Us too. I have accounts stretching back some two, 3,000 years from every culture involving, you know, yogis and saints. Mm -hmm. and sorcerers and medicine men and nuns and monks and holy people from every culture so we have this ability and i have recently discovered you know before i met dolly i started running into contactees who claim to have levitated themselves this happened to whitley streber very well-known abductee this happened to stephen greer very famous contactee yes and I started running into other people. And I, so I started collecting accounts. And I asked Dolly, you know, have you ever spontaneously levitated? And she said, yes, <laughs> that happened to me when I was two years old. It happened to her when she was, you know, 14, while she was climbing a tree. It happened to her once when she fell down the stairs. She floated right down. This is a lot of contactees are very psychic, have amazing psychic abilities. And this is because they are taught by the ETs. They are awakened, enlightened, and basically taught how to use their own abilities to not only levitate, but 
have precognition or do astral travel or do hands-on healing or past life recall or channeling, psychic reading, mediumship, seeing spirits. These are all not supernatural abilities. These are natural human abilities. We all have telepathy. So that's what's happening in Dolly's case, certainly. She's very, very psychic. She's proved it to me. Um, so, yeah, she, she has levitated, as have many contactees. We talked about this one before, uh, but uh, we had a guest on our show who is a lifelong contactee, too. It all started when he was seven, if I remember right. He went outside to take the trash out. Behind the house, he saw a figure that looked like Santa Claus. Some may love, but that's what he told us. This Santa pointed into the sky and he saw a few balls of light hovering around. And that's when the visits began. And I'm getting to the point. But instead of grace, like so many others, he saw, uh, and don't laugh now, he saw penguins. He saw penguins standing around his bed and staring at him. They just stared at him. He, he, can, he, he can't remember if they did something to him or all he remembers is that they standing around and watching him. I, he also told me that he is since then afraid of horses. It took him a while to figure out that it's the big dark eyes of the horses that scares him and that, that really, really, really scares him. And I talked to him today And I told him that I will be talking to you. So I asked him if he ever felt like he was levitating, like Dali did. And he said, yes, but only one time, as far as he can remember. And he said that he was in his bed. And somehow it felt like he was lying in a water tank of some kind. That's what he, what he felt. And it felt as if there was a lot of upwards uh, boost, I think that's the way yeah. I, yeah, to put it, upwards boost from the bottom of the tank, tank, so-called tank, but it didn't float upwards. He, it felt as if he was sinking, but at the same time, he said the ceiling came closer. He said it felt like a weird dream, but he was wide awake. And that's crazy. It, so it was not, Levitating, it was more like a floating, but it's, yeah, maybe almost the same. Yeah, well, that's one of, one of the things they do when they take people on board is we'll put them into tanks of liquid, uh, uh -huh. which I believe is it's called the breathing pool because you can actually breathe this liquid, much like hydrofluorocarbons, which we've discovered, super oxygenated liquids, uh, which you can breathe in the liquid and get oxygen out of it we have learned how to do this uh, and the ets do this i believe it's for healing on some cases possibly for transport and that sounds like what he's recalling but as far as penguins doesn't surprise me a bit uh, this sort of thing is particularly common with children who will wake up and see strange figures surrounding their bed uh, and often they remark upon the eyes how large they are and staring at them But people have described to me clowns. That happens quite often. Teddy bears, superheroes, Barbie dolls, animals of all kinds. Penguins, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> uh, but owls, deer, uh, 
gosh. Uh, owls are a common thing. I, I heard about yeah. owls a lot. Yeah. I have several people describe like Muppets, you know, from the Muppet show or, you know, cartoon characters. Mm. Uh, so this is something that the ETs do intentionally to help reduce the fear factor. So they will appear something that's familiar to the witness because often, you know, if they see a gray, that can send someone into a panic, into true terror. And they are not trying to scare people. The first thing they tell people is do not be afraid. We are not here to harm you. Have no fear, no harm will come to you. They say something like that every single time, almost without exception. They're not here to scare us or hurt us. There is no alien threat. They are contacting us because they feel um, obligated to help wake us up to the fact that we have forgotten that we are not alone in this universe. We have forgotten that we are immortal beings who you know, do live forever. There's such a thing as life after death. Humanity is living in such fear that we have blocked ourselves off from who we truly are. We've forgotten our abilities to do telepathy and all this stuff. Uh, our governments are suppressing us terribly. Um, our water is poisoned. Our food is poisoned. We're, we're in a very tough situation. Uh, and they are doing their best to help us. Uh, and it's very difficult for them because we are so fearful, yeah. so scared. So, no, they're not trying to hurt people or scare them. Uh, but the fact is they are, you know, people are very scared. Uh, so it's a very difficult situation for, you know, humans and ETs both. Uh, because we have gone so far down to where we're supposed to be. Talking about waking up, I saw another video of yours, and you talked about your own experience with astral traveling. So let's dig another rabbit hole and lucid dreaming, etc. What triggered your interest in this subject? Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, this came at the same time I started to doing UFO research, which I don't think is a coincidence. And I certainly see this with a lot of contactees. As soon as they start having UFO contact, their psychic abilities wake up. For myself, uh, I was a young man, 19 years old, when my mother passed away suddenly of a heart attack. She was only 49 years old. It was really devastating. I did not believe in life after death or UFOs or anything. So as you can imagine, I was devastated and uh, I started having lucid dreams, pre-lucid, where I thought I was awake and she'd come into my room and tell me she was fine. You know, I'm okay. Don't, you don't need to worry. I'm okay. Excuse me um, for a second. Excuse me. How can you tell it was a dream and not hallucinating or something? Yeah, well... You know, it's a great question because I was quite confused about that <laughs> uh, because I thought I was awake mm -hmm. and uh, would realize I wasn't awake when I woke up okay. and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a dream. But I knew, I knew in my heart, in my soul that I had just been visited by her because I could feel the quality of her presence. It was her, it was my mother. And yet it was a dream. And there's no such thing as life after death. So I was confused. I was in, 
a real conflict. I'm like, either this was her or I am going crazy. And I could not reconcile this. And it kept happening for a year or two. And finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. I said, I need to find out what's happening here. And I started checking out books on dreams, which said that, you know, people, deceased people can contact you through your dreams. And I wasn't convinced. And most of the books on dreams, I was quite disappointed with. Because by that time, I had started writing down every dream I've ever had. I was interviewing people about their dreams. I was trying to learn what dreams were and what sleep was because something very strange was happening to me. Uh, I will say also, I saw my mother's spirit, her ghost, after she passed away. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm hallucinating. So that got me interested in dreams. And then, of course, lucid dreaming, which is when you wake up within the dream. So I was trying to do that and not very successfully until I found a book by Robert Monroe called Far Journeys and Out-of-Body Journeys. And uh, he described his own experiences with astral projection, out-of-body experiences, and said that this is something that people have been doing in all cultures for centuries. Uh, he proved it in the laboratory setting uh, and basically explained how to do it at the end of his book. He says, anyone can do this if you want to try it. No, don't believe me. Try it yourself. And I thought, well, that sounds a little scary. <laughs> uh, but I am very interested because I wanted to know if there was life after death. I wanted to know if my mom still lived in another dimension. And certainly most cultures across our planet believe there is life after death. Uh, but I felt it was very faith-based, and I wanted first-hand knowledge. Because it's one thing to believe, it's quite another thing to know through first-hand experience. And I wanted to know, one way or another, whether there was life after death. So I started doing the exercises uh, that Robert Monroe had in his book, and they worked. It took me about a month or two before I had my first out-of-body experience. And it was amazing. It was thrilling. I was lying in bed one day. And these exercises, real quick, are basically just relaxation exercises, meditation, visualizations, affirmations. It's all about meditation and consciousness. So I was doing these exercises. And I felt what Robert Monroe calls the vibratory state. And that feels like your whole body is buzzing with electricity feels like you're being electrocuted, actually. Uh, he described it as a mild electric shock. I actually thought I was being electrocuted. I really did. I thought I had stuck my finger into the light socket next to my bed and that I was being shocked. Uh, but suddenly I popped out of my body. Uh, I knew it instantly when it happened. Flew across my room, across the hallway into the bathroom. And I grabbed the countertop and I looked in the mirror and there was no reflection. And I'm like, wow, I am out of body. I've done it. It is real. There is life after death. It took just seconds to come to that conclusion because I was not in my body. <laughs> uh, it's very hard to describe to people who have not had this experience. But you know the instant it happens. There's no question in your mind. 
And I got pulled back into my room. I saw my body lying in bed and I plopped back into it. That was my first experience. And so I started really meditating after that. <laughs> and uh, did, had an identical experience one week later. I uh, had a third a short time after that. It was very scary the third time. Thought I had died. It's terrifying. <laughs> uh, until I went back in my body. And I'm like, oh, that was not about experience. I did it again. So after that, I had them regularly. And I really, really worked hard to learn how to do this and got very good at it. And I've had regular out-of-body experiences ever since. That's awesome. I'm still trying and nothing. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm trying. Maybe I have too much uh, stuff in my head. Some dreams, dreaming is great. I love to talk about dreams and I love to dig rabbit holes about dreaming. Some dreams feel very strange. We dream to process, which is very important. These are normal dreams. Let's call them normal dreams. But then there's other dreams that make us go, wow, when we wake up. Um, sometimes I have strange dreams in which I see all my friends and family and somehow it all looks like it could be a scene of, out of my real ordinary life. But all my friends and relatives' roles in these dreams are mixed up somehow. Do you know what I mean? You see all your friends, you see your neighbor or your brother or workmate, and but the, somehow it's mixed. My neighbor is a butcher, which he isn't in real life, and my workmate isn't my workmate, but we know we we all know each other. We still know each other. But the roles are mixed somehow. It's 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 yeah, like a like a parallel universe. You could see, and um, yeah, I know exactly feels, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it feels that as if it could be real and not a dream. But then there comes the point when you realize, wait a minute, something's fishy here. While you're dreaming, and then you wake up as if someone throws you out of the dream just because you just realized that you got fooled. It's very strange. The moment you realize, wait, 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 that's that's a dream. That's not that's something strange. And then you, then some something or someone kicks you out of the dream, and then you wake up. Um, do you think that dreaming could be a way to look behind the curtains of our so-called reality? Maybe dreams. And I know it sounds strange. A little bit funny, but maybe dreams are a portal to alternate realities or maybe even the multiverse or parallel universe or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And uh, I really studied this subject. Like UFOs, I have every book on UFOs <laughs> that I could find. I have every book on dreams I could find. Oh. And I interviewed everybody I knew about all their dreams. And I ended up throwing half my dream books away. They were garbage. They did not understand what dreams were. And I worked it out. Dreams, first of all, are real experiences. People think of dreams as imaginary. And to a certain extent, I understand what they're saying. But these are still real experiences. These are experiences you have that you go through every night. People say, I don't dream. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah. You're just not remembering it. Yeah. 
And you will realize this if you work on dream recall, uh, because brain uh, scientists have studied the activity of our brain, and it is still active during sleep. It is 100% active. And we may think we fall unconscious. We don't. We are conscious in another dimension. And there's different levels of dreams. There's ordinary dreams yeah. about, the, about the movie you saw the day before, about your problems, you know, your fears, your desires. That's what most dreams are. Then there are pre-lucid dreams, which is what you're talking about, where you're visiting with friends, but everything's still a little mixed up. Uh, these are sort of half-remembered out-of-body experiences because we all, every single one of us, go out of body every night to the other side, to the what you would call the heavenly realms um, or the lower realms or even higher. Mm. Uh, we are multidimensional beings, all of us. So this is what dreams truly are. And if you are able to become lucid in the dream state, this is when you really have a enlightenment, a step towards enlightenment. And every dream you have, um, almost without exception, will have some anomaly, some inconsistency, where this person you know looks different, or the driveway is facing the wrong way, or there's furniture in your house that's not there, or <laughs> windows, or something is wrong. This, this is a cue. This is a, a device sent from your self to help you wake up, to question things. That's what I love about dreams. It's exactly what you said. They are a portal. This is easy access to the paranormal, if you will, to the other side. This is your avenue towards enlightenment. This is your vehicle to become more aware. Dreams are very important. They are a, a, an avenue, yeah, a, a device, an opportunity for you to reach a new level of awareness. And once you become lucid, once you wake up within the dream, you realize, okay, everything around me is a dream. You're in the dream, and it's not real. And this is di a difficult step because it will often kick you out and you wake up for real. <laughs> You're like, oh, shoot, you know, now I'm awake. But if you can hang on to that awareness, and there are ways to do this, there's a lot of literature on lucid dreaming and out-of-body experiences. Uh, it all fades away. You know, it's not, a dream is essentially a hallucination. You're creating your reality around you with your thoughts. Uh, you know, most dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, lucid dreams not so much you're visiting people in other places and you can kind of feel that you wake up like gosh i felt like i was somewhere else i really felt like i was you know with my friend and uh once you get past that stage where you're you no know, just normal dreams and you're becoming pre-lucid and then lucid uh, then you move into the out-of-body experience and that's when you really realize that okay uh now i understand this is when you realize that we are not uh, actually, you know, we call it astral projecting, where it feels like we're leaving our body and going to another dimension. The truth is, the other dimension is where we live. 
That's where we actually exist. That's where we come from. We are projecting down here into our bodies every day. And at night, we vacate our bodies and we go home. And we heal and we learn and we plan our day. And then we come back into our bodies each morning and we live our lives to learn the lessons we've come to earth to learn. So in a way, astral projection is a misnomer. <laughs> it's the opposite. We are projecting down here. And this is why it's so important for people to become awake in the dream state, to write down your dreams. Uh, there are various methods to increase your dream recall, but dreaming, dream work, is the probably easiest and best way to learn how to do out-of-body exploring. People talk about building a time machine. How can we build a time machine? How can we travel through time? It's all here in our head, in dreams. I love to talk about dreams. Dreams are the key to all of this. To tele 100%, telekinesis, yeah. telepathy, all that stuff. That's the key. That's where yeah. it is. That's when where all that lies. Yeah, when you, you know, dream, sometimes you dream about the past. Many people have precognitive dreams. Yeah. They will have visions of the future that come true. When I started having out-of-body experiences, that was happening almost every time I went out of body, I would have visions of the future. And boy, oh boy, was that shocking. <laughs> I mean, I cannot tell you how much that changed my life. Yeah. Um, all of this, it is so amazing. Because when you're out of body, time collapses to a certain extent. Time as we perceive it here on earth is very sequential. You know, we wake up, we eat, go to the bathroom, we live our day, and then it's night and so forth. On the other side, you can visit the past. You can see the future. Uh, and when you're out of body, you levitate naturally. You fly. You can do telekinesis. You communicate through telepathy. All of these so-called superhuman abilities are in full force naturally. That is the way it is. And when you get good at out-of-body experiences, it starts to manifest in the physical world. And this is what ETs are teaching people. This is what ETs can already do. Yeah. And when someone can move faster than the speed of light, well, this is when you know time collapses and you can visit the past and the future and pull people out of the time stream. ETs have the psychic ability to do this and they have the technology to do this. So this is how they are you know, warning people of upcoming disasters, saying, you know, you're polluting your planet. You know, if you keep producing nuclear weapons, you will destroy your planet like we did. This is a message they give to pretty much every contactee. What are you doing? Uh, stop polluting your planet. Stop fighting each other. Wake up. This is one of many reasons why I am absolutely 100% convinced ETs are not demonic. They are not here to hurt us. They are not here to do horrific experiments on us. Uh, that is a false narrative. It's fear-based. It can be very scary to have ET contact. And in the beginning, it's so scary that people often think this is evil or bad or they don't like it. And I understand that. But that is not why they're here. They are here when someone's physically examined on board a craft. They're being healed. 
And when they wake up to this, when they get past their fear, they are given a tour of the craft. They're shown the engine room. They're shown the observation deck. They're shown the uh, helm, the control room, and taught how to fly the craft. This is what I love about Dolly's story, <laughs> because she woke up at age 14 as a very young woman, got past her fear, and has been working very closely with the ETs ever since. Not in a state of fear, uh, but with absolute cooperation and joy and love. Uh, so she really has a good understanding of what's going on here, whereas a lot of people are still very much frightened. Uh, but I can tell you as a researcher that most of the people I've talked to uh, at some point realize, oh, they're not here to harm me at all. <laughs> they are here to help. One of my books is called The Healing Power of UFOs. Mm -hmm. It documents 300 cases, Daniel, <laughs> of people who have been healed. And I have cases from Germany, from Russia, France, Spain, England, Australia, New Zealand, all across South America, all across the US, Canada, everywhere across the world, stretching back 100 years from every single major researcher almost without exception. They all have these cases. John Mack, Bud Hopkins, Barbara Lamb, Philip Mantle. Um, he's from England. Uh, yeah, great guy. Jacques Vallée, he's a French researcher. He's got a few cases. Uh, all of these people have healing cases. And it doesn't get a lot of attention because you know the media loves fear. <laughs> uh, but no, the ETs are healing people. They are rescuing people from disasters. I've got many cases of this. People saved from car accidents, falls, drowning, assault, uh, you name it. Uh, don't believe for one second that ETs are here to hurt us. They're not. But on the other hand, we have cases like Kelvin Parkas, who is a little bit frightening, maybe at the first sight because he got snatched and and he got um drawn into the craft and he, he also got an injection yep maybe to us it looks um, frightened maybe it wasn't yeah. meant this way but looks... yeah this is this is the problem he was a very young man when this happened um charles hickson his friend was somewhat older and was not as frightened you know Kelvin Parker passed out several times during his experience from fear. And yeah, he, I've heard his story. Um, it was quite traumatic for him. Mm -hmm. He, like Charlie Hickson, was given warnings as well, told about, you know, we are destroying our planet. Yeah. This is not something negative. If they were, you know, were truly hostile beings, they would destroy our planet, not warn us that we are destroying it ourselves. Charles, uh, Charlie Hickson had later contact with the ETs, with his family. A lot of people don't know this. And it was very benevolent. Uh, his family was somewhat frightened, but Charles Hickson was not. And for that matter, Calvin Parker had later contact as well. Another missing time incident. And when someone has a lot of fear, this will cause missing time. And my heart goes out to him and other people 
who, you know, are suffering. Yeah. Because they do have PTSD and nightmares. And it's very, very frightening. And uh, they feel like this could be negative. And I'm not going to say every ET out there is here to, you know, help. Uh, but uh, it's clear to me that if they really wanted to hurt us, they could. Yeah. And they're not doing that. I think they so. Really, you know, they haven't dropped the atom bomb and wiped out an entire city. That was us. We did. Yeah. They don't come down and kill thousands of people. We do. And what's happening is we are imposing our own cultural values onto them, assuming that this is their behavior because this is our behavior. This is the way we behave. So when someone you know, appears in your room, you automatically think, well, I'm being kidnapped and I'm about to be murdered because that's what we do. They don't do that. They return you. They return you with your kidney stones healed, with your tubercular scars gone. They cure your arthritis, your diabetes, your heart disease, your liver disease, your gallstones, your cuts and bruises, your stomach problems, your back problems, your tumors. I've got 30 plus cases of people cured of cancer. So yes, it can be scary, but they are not here to hurt you. They're just not. And I really want people to step back. Whenever I interview someone and I, they're very frightened. They're like, this, you know, I didn't like this. This was bad. They, you know, they kidnapped me against my will. Um, I think they're evil. And I say, okay, I'm very sorry that, you know, this has, you know, caused you a lot of trauma. I'm, you know, tell me exactly what happened to you. And uh, they never describe what I would call sadistic behavior or outright torture. I've had people say, this was the worst experience of my life. I said, what did they do? Well, they appeared in my bedroom and looked at me. I'm like, okay, anything else? I had missing time. I don't know. I woke up with a scar. Um, I think they took me. And I wasn't in my bedroom. My husband, my wife was looking for me. They took me. I'm like, okay. Um, is that all? Yes. And people who are deeply religious will often immediately conclude, well, this is demonic. I would really like people to just step back, look at their experience objectively, and question the fact that, well, is every being in the universe out there, are all aliens demonic and humans are angelic? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> that we are the only good people in the entire universe and that every single person out there is out to hurt you? Because this is what people are automatically jumping to and this is the problem. We're very fear-based in our thinking. We need to recognize that the universe is a safe place. People are terrified of dying from day to day, and we, it governs our behavior. And we need to recognize that we, there is no such thing as death, that not everyone is out there to hurt us. And in fact, if you get to know anyone on this planet, the vast majority of these people living today once you know them, are not here to hurt you. People are the same everywhere. They just want you know, to be with their family, to put food on their table, to listen to music, to enjoy nature and animals. People are the same everywhere. If someone falls down, our automatic response is to rush over and pick them up. Yeah. 
You see this in disasters over and over again. If there's a tornado, an earthquake, a hurricane. People come together with love and compassion. So this is very important. You said people are afraid of dying. And that's because we created a really, excuse my language, fucked up picture of dying over over all the years and hundreds and thousands of years. The church told us, if you're not following the rules that we gave you, you're going to hell. And you, exactly. You burn in hell. You burn in hell. And if you do good, you're going to heaven. And that's why people are afraid of dying because nobody, nobody's always good. Yeah, nobody. I certainly learned about that with out-of-body experiences because some of the people who are much better, better at it than me were talking about you know, visiting what we would call the lower realms, the hellish realms. I'm like, I want to do that. And anytime I read about something, I'm like, well, if they can do it, so can I. And I did. I visited the lower realms. And there are a lot of people who are trapped on earth who do not realize they're, they've passed away and are, for whatever reason, trapped here, perhaps because they were addicted to drugs, perhaps because they lived a life of crime and immorality. They, they, and they, they seeking for something, you know, do you mean this or, yeah? Oh, yeah. They're still yeah. seeking for something. They, they're looking for something. They, they, yeah. They're chasing are, something. This is a big problem. Many of them are very upset. They're in agony. They don't feel like they deserve to go yeah. to the other side. Most people are going to be just fine when they pass away. They will go to what we, you know, in religion call the heavenly realms. Mm. It's very much like earth. It's just more beautiful. It's made of light. Everything is sparkly and shiny and just absolutely indescribably loving and wonderful. And It is a beautiful, beautiful place. Death is a very healing thing. It is not, you know, the cold pits of hell that are described in religion. And you don't need to go to church to learn this. You can visit God yourself by just going out of body and into the light. And this is something anyone can do. It's our natural birthright. Uh, this is so important. Uh, and this will, I think if everyone could just do this, it would change the world overnight because there would not be fear of death. There would not be fear of people who look different. You know, racism is a, also a lie. Uh, we are all one race. We have different ancestries. And if someone has a slightly different skin color or eye color or body shape, uh, that does not make them not human. <laughs> Uh, ETs are more like us than different. They themselves are human. The greys are not another species, really. They have the same genetics as all beings throughout the universe do. And this is a very important point. People need to recognize that uh, the divisiveness and the hatred that we are is being pushed upon us is a lie. It's not true. People are loving generous entities, and uh, we all are one. This is one of the messages from the ETs. Humanity is one. You are one of us. We are one of you. We are all together. 
so this is something that becomes really apparent once you start you know, having out-of-body experiences or contact or near-death experience. There's different pathways to the truth. But I think it's really important that people try to learn for themselves and not just rely on faith and answers from other people. The answer is within you. If you want to know about life after death, do it. Don't believe me if I'm telling you, you know, I've been out of body. That's just a story as far as, you know, anyone else is concerned. Uh, it's not my goal to convince people that I personally am having out-of-body experiences. It's my goal to encourage people to try it themselves so they can know and visit their deceased loved ones. When I saw my mom on the other side, oh my gosh, it was the best day. <laughs> it was the best thing. It was the best experience I've ever had. And I've gotten to visit her many times, as well as my father, my brother, my best friend, my nephew, all who have passed away, friends. You can visit them. You will know firsthand. Know, not believe. You will know that there is life after death. And it's easy, easy, easy. You just have to really buckle down and meditate. Are you able to communicate? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My nephew passed away this year. It's very tragic. He was 40 years old. Thank you. Yeah, it was quite upsetting, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I knew I would see him because every time I have a loved one who passes away, at some point I will see them. It's usually you know, a couple of weeks, a month or two after, sometimes a couple of years, sometimes much longer. And it took me years upon years to see my father. <laughs> I finally did. But the day my nephew died, his name was James, I had an out-of-body experience. And it was amazing because I found myself going down this tunnel, this dark tunnel, very much like near-death experiencers describe. And this is not uncommon when you have out-of-body experiences. You know, there's lots of tunnels and stuff between the dimensions. <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's happening. I'm always so amazed and thrilled when I find myself you know, doing this. It it's never gets old. It's just the most amazing thing. And it's so much fun. I saw a light at the end of this tunnel, a very bright kind of divine light. I'm like, wow, oh my gosh, this is happening. And I went to the end of this tunnel and there was a room filled with people. And I knew they were all recently deceased. And I'm looking for my nephew. <laughs> gosh, is he here? Where is he? James, James. And I didn't see him. And there was a lady sitting by the door at a desk. And I could tell she was a guide. She was a greeter, if you will. She helps people out or new to the other side. And I walked up to her. I'm like, I'm looking for James. You know, my name is Preston. My nephew passed away. I'm looking for James. And she smiled at me and she says, turn around. He's right behind you. And I did. And there was James. And uh, boy, did he look great. I'd forgotten that he's like six foot three or two. He's you know, quite a bit taller than me. I'm almost 5'10", 5'9", three quarters. <laughs> Uh, and he's standing up straight. Yeah, when you're, people on the other side look so good. Light just comes out of them. They look so healthy, so happy. Their eyes shine with love. And I rushed up to him. I'm like, James, oh my gosh, you look great. I love you. And he grabbed my hands and squeezed them. and says, you know, I love you too, Preston. 
I'm like, how are you? Are you okay? He says, yes, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. I'm really okay. Don't worry. I'm just fine. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad. You know, I was you know, so sorry. This is you know, glad you're okay because I'm fine. And I wanted to talk to him, but I was so overwhelmed <laughs> by seeing him that, you know, I started to tear up a little bit. And he looked at me and smiled widely. And he says, Preston, I want to tell you something. You're doing really important work. I'm like, huh. He says, no, really. I watched your YouTube videos. I love that one you did. With and he starts describing one of the videos. He says, I love that one. What you're doing is really important. Keep it up. And it was such a nice thing to say. Because I was, you know, I wanted to talk about him. <laughs> I don't want to talk about me, you know. I wanted to know what how he's doing. And he put it back on me. He's like, no, you're good. You're, you know, I love you. And uh, I was so emotional, I got pulled back. But yeah, that's the sort of thing that happens. You communicate with your loved ones. We all do. Even if you don't remember it, it sometimes comes through as a dream. Those dreams are real. Uh, but yeah, if you can do it out of body, fully consciously, it's really rewarding. That was a great talk, Preston. Let's end this here. That was <laughs> really right. great. That was really, really great. And thank you for giving me a good insight to yourself, what you experienced. Thank you for that. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate the opportunity. I love these subjects, so I yeah. can't thank you enough. Thank me you. Me too. <laughs> that was great. <laughs>